Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. of the day for Sunday, Mighty Fortress is Our God. Jesus tells us that the devil has been a liar from the beginning. He deals in lies and there's no truth in him. Well, our problem is that we believe the devil's lies when he comes tempting us or telling us something that is untrue. But Jesus never believed a single lie that the devil uttered to him. We find it there in that gospel reading in Jesus' own temptation. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. He joins us, leading us through the propers for the one-year lectionary of the first Sunday in Lent called Invocavit. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. Let's clear up a little bit of math regarding Lent, since the season is 40 days, but it doesn't count Sundays? That's right. If you take the six weeks of Lent, so you've got six weeks minus Sunday, so that would be six days and six weeks, that is 36, and then you take Ash Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday following there's four more days, that gives you the 40. So the Sundays are not a part of the numbering of the 40 days of Lent. They're Sundays in Lent, but they're not of Lent. They remain celebrations of the resurrection, even in Lent as we're moving forward to the cross and to the resurrection on Easter. So the great 40 days are taken from Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness. We just indicated they begin on Ash Wednesday, through that Saturday, and then there's six more weeks. You take the Sundays out, you get 36 days plus those four. So there's your 40 days of Lent, which means, by the way, spring, it's the new life in preparation for the great Easter feast in celebration of our Lord's resurrection. You can tell the development of the church year um, was very much influenced by the Northern Hemisphere as opposed to the southern hemisphere where the church had its beginnings in the western world and the calendar and the change of seasons and so forth certainly had a significant role in the development of the church here. So a little further introduction to the season of Lent before we get into the propers for the first Sunday in Lent. Yes, 
Originally, the season of Lent, I mean, in the ancient church, was a period of intense catechesis in preparation for holy baptism, for adult catechumens and their children, as well as a period of catechesis for lapsed Christians who had fallen away for their reincorporation into the communion of the church. So catechesis was a significant role, and it was intense catechesis. And then after the legalization of Christianity, there are fewer and fewer adult converts. Then Lent took on much more of a focus on the passion or preparation for the passion. So this later penitential focus that we still observe today tended to focus less on catechesis and more on the passion. And and I would argue that we can have both, that the that the season of Lent ought to be a time in which we absolutely meditate upon the passion of our Lord, but we do so during some periods of intense catechesis, the six chief parts of the catechism. They can all be taught in light of and through the the meditation upon the passion of our Lord. So I think you can do both. It's certainly what we're doing in our in our congregation. On Ash Wednesday, for example, we will focus this year on confession and absolution and private confession. Look at the catechism, you know, what is confession? What sins should we confess? Which are these? And the propers for Ash Wednesday fall right in line with that kind of catechesis. And you you cannot, uh, since, since the passion of our Lord is all about his suffering and death into which we are baptized, uh, which we partake of in the sacrament of the altar, you can see how those parts of the catechism play in so easily with a meditation upon the passion. The name of this Sunday, Invocavit or Invocabit, depending on who you talk to. You're right. What is that about? Well, it, it comes from the uh, intro, as do, I believe, just about every Sunday throughout Lent and throughout Eastertide, the Latin titles are all from a Latin translation of the particular psalm, usually the antiphon for the day. And this one is no exception. So Psalm 91, invocabit means invocation. So he shall call upon me. He shall call upon me is the language right out of the intro for the day. So it's the Sunday of calling upon the name of the Lord. And we're talking about the Lord Jesus, who is our champion and victor in our earthly pilgrimage over every assault of the evil one, he is our champion, Christ is, and we call upon him and he answers us and he delivers us. So Jesus does this. He calls upon his father for us in every way that we and our father Adam from the fall into sin failed to call upon the Lord. So this Sunday begins with the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness, his 40 days and 40 nights, his fast, during this period of time, the intense uh, scrutiny and assault of the evil one against him. And he is for us what Adam failed to be and failed to do. Jesus is the man of faith. So our earthly sojourn, this 40-day period of four times 10, four being the number for the earth, the four winds and so forth, 40 is often associated with our pilgrimage from our baptism till we cross over the Jordan into the promised land of heaven 
and await the resurrection. So that 40-day period, we think of the 40 days and 40 nights of the rain falling during the time of Noah, the 40 years of wilderness wandering for the children of Israel as they leave Egypt and they go to Mount Sinai and then their 40 years in the wilderness before they enter the promised land, and Jesus 40 days in the wilderness. It happens right after his baptism. In the Gospel of Matthew, you have chapter 3, ends with the baptism of our Lord, and then chapter 4, he is driven out into the wilderness, led by the Spirit. For what purpose? To be tempted for us in our stead and in our place. He begins his victory march over the evil one, where upon the cross he will crush his authority, his headship, by his suffering and death upon the cross. His heel will be bruised there. But that all begins this intense period in that 40 days immediately following his baptism. It's a great how the Gospels bear witness to Jesus' ministry. It begins with his baptism and then immediately follows this temptation in the wilderness for 40 days. He is the scapegoat. He bears our sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And being our sin bearer, he confronts Satan, who tempts him in the face of carrying our sin. The Father has abandoned you. He is not. He does not love you. He's rejected you. He cannot be depended upon, which is a similar temptation that the serpent had against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So those are the kinds of broad strokes that are beginning the season of Lent as this first Sunday in Lent sets up Jesus in the wilderness to confront Satan on our behalf. What is the collect for the first Sunday in Lent? Yeah, I include... Uh, two collects here. The first one is the one that Lutheran Service Book has. It's more of a newer collect that was crafted especially for this day. And it reads as follows, O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, and so forth. So you see how that collect in LSV captures these broad and overarching themes, not only for the first Sunday in Lent, but it captures the theme for the entire season of Lent, comparing our earthly pilgrimage to the wilderness wandering of the children of Israel, wherein by the Lord's grace and protection, they're brought safely into the promised land. And the other collect that I wanted to mention, it's in the Lutheran hymnal, the TLH, the collect was of Gregorian origin. It was not of Roman Catholic origin in the sense of the Council of Trent, that period of time where their collect for the first Sunday in Lent especially highlighted good works. But this more ancient collect reads, O Lord, mercifully hear our prayer and stretch forth the right hand of thy majesty to defend us from them that rise up against us through thy son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this former collect from the TLH used in Lutheran circles for generations that is of Gregorian origin grasps the essential character of Invocabit Sunday in its petition, defend us from them that rise against us. Satan rises against us. Sin rises against us. Death itself rise up against us, for which Jesus, our champion, is our only defense. 
How does the intro it read? It's from Psalm 91. Yeah, I may want to comment just a little bit here. The intro is from Psalm 91, and interestingly, the gradual for this Sunday and the tract for this Sunday are also from Psalm 91. So verses from Psalm 91 are used for all three of these propers, intro, gradual, and tract. And Psalm 91 is a significant psalm because it recounts the Lord's deliverance of his people from bondage in Egypt. Pharaoh is a figure that in many ways represents Satan and how he afflicts God's people. The image of the Lord God as our mighty fortress is picked up on in Psalm 91. Now, we're, we're familiar with a mighty fortress is our God. The hymn that Luther wrote is based on Psalm 46, but that theme runs throughout the Psalter. And Psalm 91 is one of those cases where he is depicted as our mighty fortress, a refuge against Satan's attacks. It's emphasized throughout the psalm, and particularly in the verses selected for the intro, for the gradual, and for the verse for the day. So here's how the intro reads. When he calls to me, I will answer him. There's invocabit. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. You will tread on the lion and the ass, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So as we noted, Invocabit comes from the opening line of the antiphon. When he calls to me, I will answer him. And I think the first point of reference for us in praying this psalm on Invocabit Sunday is that we should think of this in terms of the Lord's promise of deliverance from temptation. You go back in Egypt from the plagues that afflicted Egypt they did not come near the children of Israel, but rather they were delivered from those plagues. Those plagues were acts of the Lord's judgment upon the impenitent, wicked, unbelieving nation of Egypt and upon their Pharaoh. So when he calls to me, I will answer him. The Lord's promise of deliverance from temptation. Long life is promised here. And long life is understood in light of the gift of salvation that we have in Christ, in the promise of the gospel, that gift of salvation that satisfies us in our earthly pilgrimage. You know, in our earthly pilgrimage, it may be fraught with suffering, with hardship, with testing along the way, but the light of the gift of salvation satisfies us throughout this earthly pilgrimage. Jesus did not enjoy a long life as human reason would understand it, but he absolutely was satisfied to follow the Lord God, his Father, in the work of salvation for us. And as we know, he was crucified at the age of about 33 years. That's not, by our standards today, called a long life, but it was a blessed life as he followed by faith the Lord his God doing the work that God gave him to do. So the intro asserts that if the Lord is our shelter, if the Lord is our fortress, if the Lord is our dwelling place, 
then we have nothing to fear from Satan. In Christ, we will tread upon the lion and the adder, the adder being this any number of venomous snakes, vipers. We will trample underfoot the young lion and the serpent. And here we think of how the seed of the woman's victory over Satan in crushing his head and trampling the serpent underfoot is our victory uh, through faith in Christ. So because of this, we have nothing to fear. Through Christ's victory, we have that victory. We trample Satan underfoot. We can also see themes of the Exodus, as I noted earlier, in the intro and the Lord's redemption from plague and from pestilence throughout our earthly pilgrimage. In the book of Exodus, those plagues that afflicted Egypt, they were acts of divine judgment. The pestilence, the deadly pestilence that stalked in the darkness, taking the firstborn not covered in the lamb's blood, that doesn't touch us. We are not condemned in the plagues. The deadly pestilence does not destroy us, does not take our life from us because we belong to the Lord. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So it really is a great psalm as it, as it highlights after you've received the absolution, you go in the strength of the absolution, you pray this intro it, declaring, the Lord is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And it's a great way to set up the rest of the propers for Lent 1. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent will be in the tract, which is also from Psalm 91, next. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference at Concordia University, Chicago. I'm going to die. Every one of us is going to die. At the time of death, the Christian faces so many assaults. We think about the death of loved ones that causes, at times, unspeakable grief. We can be assaulted by the regret over the things that we have failed to do. We wonder about the future. What will happen to loved ones? Where shall we for refuge go? To Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for a dying man's consolation Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. For more information, visit issuesetc.org. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We come now to the tract. How is it, how does it go together with uh, what we've been hearing from Psalm 91 so far? It reads as follows, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Right away, Todd, you see a repeat of some of the verses contained in the intro. And this is indicative of the use of the propers on this first Sunday in Lent, as in our prayers, they're brief, they're fervent, they repeat the familiar themes, what we prayed in the intro, what we pray again in the tract, as we look forward to the victory that our Lord Jesus, who is our refuge and strength, has for us. So the tract continues the theme of the Lord is our mighty fortress. You can think about stanza two of Luther's great hymn, right? With might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss effected. But for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask ye who this is, Jesus Christ it is, of Sabaoth Lord, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. So the track definitely anticipates the hymn of the day, A Mighty Fortress. And Jesus is our refuge in every time of need. But it also expands in the track upon this concept of the Lord as our refuge and our mighty fortress by portraying the Lord as a mighty raptor, this glorious eagle who will cover you with his pinions, his feathers and shield and protect you. Again, like the intro at the track promises, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That is the absolute promise of the gospel to all those who cling to Jesus, our champion, who is then the one who stands before us in the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness, the one who wins the victory over the evil one on our behalf. Take us through the gospel for the first Sunday in Lent, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot 
against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now, Todd, I would say that this historic gospel for the first Sunday in Lent takes us back to the Garden of Eden and to the serpent's temptation of Adam and Eve there in paradise. In this gospel, we see Jesus, who he is. He is for us everything that Adam failed to be, namely the man of faith in the Lord who trusts in the Lord's word above all things. I think it would be a mistake for us to think of this account of the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness as if there were three times, one, two, three, the serpent, Satan, came to Jesus, made this temptation, he rebuked him, made another temptation, he rebuked him, made a third temptation, he rebuked him, and then it was done. But rather throughout these 40 days in the wilderness, these three temptations represent the swirling, ongoing assault of the evil one, challenging Jesus' faith and reliance upon his Father. It helps explain why the ordering in Luke's Gospel, for example, is different from the ordering in Matthew's Gospel. It's because the temptations swirl about. Uh, they are part and parcel to how Satan tried to undermine Jesus' confidence in his Father. If you think about our own earthly pilgrimage just for a moment, we're very interested in wanting to have food for our bellies, to have earthly security. For us as Christians, however, earthly security is only so much. Ultimately, it is our relationship with God. Ultimately, it is his word. So Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In our earthly sojourn, we suffer, don't we? There are physical infirmities, there's sickness, there's disease, there's hardship, there's persecution of every sort. And what's interesting in the temptation of Jesus is that the devil who had just been rebuked by the Lord with God's word then takes up God's word, but he twists it and he mutilates it. He'll command his angels concerning you on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He quotes from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And his use of those passages is as if to say, if God really were your God, then you wouldn't suffer any hardship or adversity whatsoever. And Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So when we suffer, do we not tend to doubt God's care, his providence, his love for us, that he can accomplish anything good from us. And then in the last temptation that Jesus faces, he says to Jesus, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
if you will fall down and worship me. It is as if he were saying that there is a different road to redemption than the one that the Father has given you. The Father has sent you to suffer. He has sent you to die. Clearly, he doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. There is an easier way. And how often does the devil tempt us to take the easy route? But there was no other easy way. There was only one way for Jesus to redeem the world from sin, and that is by going to the cross for us. So he says here in Matthew chapter 4, Be gone, Satan! It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. A response that he will echo later when Peter, after his great confession in Matthew 16, tries to deter Jesus from the cross. says, God forbid this must never happen. And Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So what is it to worship the Lord our God and to serve him only as Jesus does? For him it meant to suffer all, even the death of the cross, and especially the death of the cross, rather than fall away from the Lord in whom alone there is life. So the gospel, as I said, it takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve. Jesus is for us everything Adam failed to be, namely the man of faith. And he trusts in the Lord's word above all things. Satan is attacking Jesus, tempting him to abandon his confidence in his father as he continues his work of redemption. It is as if the evil one were saying to him, you can't trust your father. There's another way. You do not have to suffer and die. Or if you do, it is proof that the father does not love you and has abandoned you. And you think of the serpent's attack against Adam and Eve in the wilderness. Did God really say? He's lying to you. He claims to love you, but he doesn't love you. If you eat of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will be like God. But of course, it was all a lie. So Jesus is driven out into the wilderness after his baptism. The sin of the world is laid upon him. As the scapegoat, the designated Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin, he faces Satan for us. In other words, Adam was called to trust in God from a state of innocence as the God who loved him and had provided everything he needed. Jesus is called to trust in God from a state of bearing the world's sin and to continue to believe that his Father is good and that he is loved by God the Father, even though he is called upon to suffer and to die under the Father's wrath. In the Garden of Eden, Satan's attacks upon the Word of God asserted at least three things. God does not love you. God does not care for you. And he is withholding good things from you. They were called to live from God's Word, to trust in him above all else, to worship only the Lord who was the source of life. But we know what Adam and Eve did. They turned away from the word that gave them life, and they became sinners and plunged themselves and all of creation into death. So the three temptations encapsulate the attacks upon Jesus' faith for us and for our salvation. Satan accuses God of the same things he accused God of in the Garden of Eden. In Jesus' response to Satan as the Son of Man, now Satan refers to him as the Son of God, and he is true God, but he is also true man, which means he is called to live by faith in his Father, even in suffering. He is called to set aside the use of his divine prerogatives and power to live the life of faith as a man, trusting in his Father in the way that Adam had failed to do. So in his replies to the evil one, Jesus is talking about himself first, 
before he is talking about us. Jesus' reply to each temptation teaches us what they are about. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, Jesus is applying that to himself. I live as a man by every word that proceeds out of the life of God. It teaches us that life is from God's word and from no other source. And Jesus lives from the Father's word. Number two, he says to the evil one, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It teaches us that faith in the Lord makes no accusation against him that he is not good or that he is doing us wrong or an injustice. And so from the cross, Jesus does not accuse his father of doing wrong, but he continues to confess that the Lord is good. Our God is a God of love. Number three, he tells Satan, be gone. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Here again, Jesus is talking about himself when he says, I worship the Lord my God. I serve only him. It teaches us that worship and fear of the Lord is to trust that he is good, no matter what we face. So Jesus worships his God and Father in his death upon the cross. And Satan will not deter him from the work of suffering and death that the Father has called him to do. He remains steadfast in the faith to the point of breathing his last for us. And of course, what happens? The angels minister to him with the very word of God to which his faith held fast. So we see in the gospel for the first Sunday in Lent that Jesus is our refuge and strength as Satan assaults our faith throughout the days of our earthly pilgrimage. We follow him who did for us what we and our father Adam so often failed to do. With might of ours cannot be done, soon were our loss effected, but for us fights the valiant one. Jesus Christ it is of Sabaoth, Lord, and there's none other God. He holds the field forever. I know it's common to talk about the temptation of our Lord as an example for us to follow when we're tempted to do what Jesus did. And there's some truth in that, Todd, but... At its heart, it tends to thrust us back more upon ourselves in the battle against the evil one rather than upon reliance upon Christ, our champion, who defeated Satan and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We will be looking at the original temptation account in Genesis chapter 3 as our Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender, next. Several issues, etc., regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with The Bent Woman, Mustard Seed and Leaven, Last First and First Last, Lament Over Jerusalem, and Healing of the Man with Dropsy. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider.
Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and lay people worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up for their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com. One of the most difficult decisions that a spouse has to make is the decision to put their beloved husband or wife into a long-term care facility as a result of mental illness. In the February issue of The Lutheran Witness, the Reverend Michael Casting tells the story of how he cared for his wife during her struggle with Alzheimer's and how he came to grips with this decision. To find out more, you can read his article in the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through his word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus, where the word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming Servants in Jesus Christ to Teach the Faithful, Reach the Lost, and Care for All. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent with Pastor Peter Bender. He is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. When Isaac Watts wrote his famous, well, we call it a Lenten hymn now, When I Survey the Wonders Cross, he originally wrote it as a Lord's Supper hymn. In the preface to his 1707 hymnal, Watts explained why. There are expressions used in all of these which confine them only to the table of the Lord, and therefore I have distinguished them and set them by themselves. Watts therefore considered this a specific hymn for the Lord's Supper, and when sung within that context, references to the body and blood of Christ, the flowing of sorrow and love, the power of such amazing love, and the transforming of one's life, it all takes on a deeper and richer meaning. That's from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. It's at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Peter, we are now at the Old Testament reading, the original temptation account in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Take us through it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the wind. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, uh, I've already talked a good deal about this Old Testament reading. It's so very appropriate for this first Sunday in Lent because the temptation of our Lord in the wilderness ties directly to the temptation of the serpent to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they fail to be the man and the woman of faith, whereas our Lord remains that man of faith and he trusts in the Father's word to the very end. It's important to note, I think, that Satan is a liar. <laughs> Satan accused God of being a liar, of not loving them, of withholding good things from them. You know, eat of this tree and you'll be like God, when the reality was they already were like God, made in his image and likeness. And to live from his word was to have life and communion with God. So when they departed from his word, they became sinful. And what the devil promised was not realized, but rather they took on the devil's nature. So Adam and Eve became sinful and like the evil one when they turned away from God's word. And the result of this rebellion is not only death, but we see in the response of Adam, you know, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Or in Eve's reply, the devil made me do it. We see the self-centered way that sin manifests itself ever since the fall in each one of us. So we see the anatomy of sin and its 
corrupting influences upon our lives. And instead of being self-giving and sacrificial in our love for others, we become curved in upon ourselves and self-centered. The promise of the seed of the woman in this Genesis 3.15 foretells how Jesus would crush Satan's authority to condemn sinful man. How? By bearing the suffering and death that God's word demanded of the sinner. And I like to point this out. The power of the devil to condemn us, to damn us to hell, was God's own word. The day you eat of it, you will die. So the Son of God becomes man, and he takes our death, and by his atoning sacrifice, he thereby vanquishes us. He thereby takes away the punishment that we by our sins deserve. He thereby defeats Satan for us, and Satan has no authority to condemn us. For Jesus has satisfied the entire will and law of God for us. So the Old Testament reading points forward to the seed of the woman who would do what Adam failed to do and defeat Satan. Even as it talks about the curse of the fall, God's action that affects us in the deepest areas and most keenly associated with what we are created to be in the order of creation, namely childbirth and child rearing and pain you shall bring forth children and in the toil of daily work. So being fruitful and having dominion over the creation, the curse of the fall affects us most keenly in those two ways. What would you say briefly about the alternate Old Testament reading, 1 Samuel seventeen forty through 51? The alternate Old Testament reading sets before us Goliath as a figure of Satan whom David does battle with. And so Like the first Old Testament option, Goliath is an image of the serpent, Satan, who must be defeated by the greater son of David. Listen to some of the reading as it says, the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air. So notice the contrast there, how the character of Satan depicted in Goliath is one of arrogant boasting. But the character of the Lord and his nature is revealed in David, who is a type of Christ, and he says, the Lord will give this victory. You know, David claims none of it for himself, but rests his full confidence in the Lord, even as our Lord Jesus rested his full confidence in his Father. And then the text in the alternate Old Testament says that when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. We think of the promise of the seed of the woman crushing the serpent's head. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. 
when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So by Goliath's own sword, David decapitates Goliath. So look at how this parallels our Lord's redeeming work upon the cross. All evil is marshaled against him. And he turns evil into good in that by his death at the hands of sinners, at the hands of Satan's assault upon sinful man, he wins the victory over Satan. So that kind of theme is well articulated in this alternate Old Testament reading. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest from the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the first Sunday in Lent. We'll be back to Psalm 91 in the gradual next. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Now we're back to Psalm 91, two verses of it in the gradual. Peter. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The phrase striking the foot against the stone does not mean that suffering and death will not come, but rather it promises that we will not be scandalized, nor will we be overcome by suffering. And if you think about Jesus, he was not scandalized by the cross. He remained the man of faith in the face of that suffering and every assault of the evil one. And the gradual is in between the Old Testament and epistle. And in the epistle, 2 Corinthians 6 verses 1 through 10, Paul talks about the suffering that he endured as an apostle for the sake of preaching the gospel to his congregations. And he was not scandalized by that suffering, but that suffering was worth enduring for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel to other sinners to whom Paul was sent to call them to repentance and faith. And also that suffering bore a powerful witness that he belonged to Christ and that through his suffering, he saw himself as partaking of the sufferings of Jesus. And so you can see how the gradual, is it 
talking about Jesus' suffering? Is it talking about how the Father sustains him by the word of grace? Or is it talking about the suffering of Christians or the suffering of an apostle and how through Christ we are sustained by his grace? And the answer is both. And this is how lovely the Psalms are when we pray them through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The strength and the victory comes from Jesus and the prayer of faith that the Psalm utters becomes our prayer for Jesus' sake through faith in him. So this is the faith with which Jesus endured the temptation and went to the cross. It's also the faith of every Christian and of every Christian minister of the gospel. The epistle is 2 Corinthians 6, the first 10 verses. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. Paul's description of his ministry and the things that he encountered there should bring to mind the promise of the Lord to the apostles. You know, the time is coming when those who kill you will think that they are rendering God a service or they'll put you out of the synagogues and they will persecute you. Whenever ministers and the church faces those kinds of things for the gospel's sake, for Jesus' sake, for righteousness' sake, the righteousness of Christ's sake, it is a testimony that we belong to him. In the midst of such suffering and persecution for Christ's sake, the devil is close at hand to tempt us that we do not belong to God, that he has abandoned us, that he does not love us. But the very sufferings and death of Jesus and his victory over the evil one and how he won that victory through his suffering, that becomes the very source of strength also for us. So Paul's exhortation not to receive the grace of God in vain is the call to remain in the faith and to not be scandalized by the ongoing problem of sin or the sufferings and persecutions that we experience as Christians. And Paul describes his mode of operation in the apostolic ministry, that everything he does, everything he suffers, is to serve the cause of faith in Christ for those to whom he preaches. So there was kind of a sacramental character to his suffering as an apostle, that they would see in him all manner of suffering that they heard about in Jesus' ministry, recorded in the Gospels. And instead of being a source of discouragement, it would be a source of 
encouragement for them. And we can bring to remembrance the words of the gradual. He'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. The Lord certainly did that for Paul. And on their hands, the angels will bear you up lest you are scandalized. You strike your foot against the stone. And that is to say, lest these sufferings cause you to turn away in faith. Rather, the opposite should be the case. They are powerful witness that we belong to Christ and his suffering is our strength as we go through those same sufferings for Jesus' sake. With about a minute here, summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel. Our malady to which the law must be addressed. Number one, we believe the lies of the evil one, that God does not love us, that he is withholding good things from us, that he cannot be depended upon to help us. And we need to know that that is the malady that afflicts our nature because of the fall into sin. Number two, in our battle against Satan, we trust in ourselves in time of temptation, that we can defeat Satan's temptations by our own strength, and nothing could be further from the truth. Number three, that the struggle with sin, temptation, and human weakness is a sign that God has abandoned us. And that is a lie of the evil one. So the unique gospel for today is, again, threefold. Number one, Jesus is our champion. In the battle against Satan, he defeats the evil one for us. Number two, Jesus is our high priest, who has been tempted in every way for us, yet without sin, that we might approach him for God's grace in our time of need. And that concept of him as our high priest is taken up in a very short alternate epistle for the day. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And finally, number three, the word of the Lord is our strength and comfort in spiritual warfare. For the word of the Lord Jesus delivers to us every victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil. One little word can fell him, because in that word is contained Jesus, who crushed the serpent's head, who faced temptation for us, who is our champion, and who by his faithfulness unto death won the victory for us. And this victory is ours. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll get a review of the movie Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantum Mania. Our guest will be Pastor Ted Geese, and we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. 
Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.